0: Coming up on this jam packed episode of This Week in Linux, we've got some big news regarding App Images, KDE Plasma, and UB ports. In the App News section, we've got an update for the WPS Office story we talked about last week, and a lot of application releases from Krita, Scribus, Kodi, and Qt. There's a lot of distro news this week. We've got a progress update for the XFC team for our version 4.14. And that's not all, we've also got Linux gaming news, Linux security news, and some hardware updates. I'm Michael Tannell with Tux Digital. And you're watching This Week in Linux, your weekly source for Linux GNUs. Before we get started, I'm going to do a shameless plug for the Touch Digital Patreon. If you like this podcast or the Touch Digital channel, please consider becoming a patron to help me continue to make this content and to ramp up the effort so I can make more and more videos for you all. We're at 73% of our first Patreon goal of launching an audio-only feed for this series. So if you wouldn't mind helping out a little bit, I'd very much appreciate it, and be sure to check out the reward tiers because there's a lot of stuff to get, even at the lowest levels. This week we're going to start off with the top stories of the week, and first up is something that has me very, very excited. At this year's OpenSUSE conference, the AppImage and OpenSUSE teams announced that it is now possible to use the Open Build service, or OBS, to create app images. This is very exciting news in my opinion because this has so much potential to elevate the AppImage format to a much wider adoption for both users and developers. AppImages are great for users because they are a single file that you download and run without the need for installing. AppImage created some automation tools to make it easier for developers to make AppImages but with OpenSUSE's OBS, I think this could improve the development flow even more. One of the biggest issues of AppImages for users though, in my opinion, is the lack of a unified update mechanism. But by using OBS, it's possible that OBS could be used as the update mechanism. I've put a couple links in the video description if you want to learn more about this, or want to watch the announcement video from the conference. Next up is some great news from the Ubiports team. It's only been about two months since the announcement that Canonical was ending development of, Ub- of Ubuntu Touch, and already Ubiports is making great progress on their port of the platform. This week, Ubiports announced that all devices that were sold with Ubuntu Touch can now run Ubiports builds. This brings the supported device number from 3 to 13. There's also been a significant progress for the project Halium, I think it's Halium, which is a collaborative middleware project for getting GNU Linux on mobile devices. The email client for Ubuntu Touch called Deco that re- previously transitioned from being a mobile app into a desktop snap has restarted development as a mobile app to support the UbiPorts builds, which is a really important news for the UbiPorts as a platform. UBports is transitioning from Canonical's ABAGPS service, which has been discontinued, now to using the Mozilla service for AGPS. UBports is also transitioning from Launchpad to GitHub for bug reports. It appears that Launchpad will continue to be the home for the code and development, but bug reports have moved to GitHub to make it easier for people to submit those bug reports since Launchpad is not really known for being user-friendly. KDE has released Plasma 5.10 with new features across the suite to give users an experience which they say lives up to our tagline, simple by default, powerful when needed. I'd say that tagline perfectly fits KDE Plasma even if I do disagree with some of the defaults they use. Thankfully, some of the defaults I dislike have been fixed in this release. For example, the desktop mode for Plasma 5.10 is now the folder view, which has always been available in Plasma 5, but was never set to the default option. The folder view allows for desktop experience similar to what Windows users might expect with icons and files available on the desktop directly. I personally prefer a clean desktop with nothing on it, but I agree with this decision to make this the default. The Task Manager applet has some very nice improvements, such as the ability to group similar windows easily simply by middle clicking the the entries. And They also improve support for vertical panel layouts by making it possible to configure the icon size of the entries. Honestly, there are way too many things to talk about with this release, so I'm just going to address the features that caught my eye. And for the rest, check out the blog post that I've linked in the video description. The lock screen now has the ability to control media players from it. Touch support has been improved quite a bit, such as adding support for a virtual keyboard on the login and lock screens. The audio volume applet now has the ability of changing settings on a per device basis. A new system settings module lets you download and select boot splashes, which is pretty cool. Plasma 5.10 brings improved support for Wayland. you'll now be presented with possible apps to install based on your searches in KRunner, and speaking of installing apps, Plasma 5.10 adds experimental support for the new bundle-style package formats and the Discover Software Center for Flatpak and Snappy. For the rest of the updates, check out the link in the video description. Last week I reported on this show that Kingsoft's WPS office is seemingly on a halt, as they described on their Twitter account. Kingsoft has responded to the story claiming the statements made by various news outlets were false reports. They're claiming that they never intended to put WPS for Linux on a halt. The thing is, though, they are literally the people who said it. Now, if you check their Twitter account, you will see they deleted all of the tweets related to the halt. Unfortunately for them, this is the internet, and we have proof of what they said. So, Kingsoft, instead of blaming people for your mistakes, just admit someone made a mistake and move on. Instead, he decided to pretend it didn't happen, and maybe even threaten people legally. What do I mean by that? Well, I don't know, but they might be. I had to use Google Translate to read their response, so it's probably pretty much wrong, but there is a part that really confuses me, and I hope they clarify it, and hopefully it's just a bad translation. The statement I'm referring to is the matter to retain the right to resort to the law. This could be a bad translation, and more than likely is to a degree, but it also could be a threat for legal action. I'm not sure, but either way, they aren't winning points in this situation, in my opinion. I want to be clear, though. I do hope they continue to support Linux, because it is important to have Linux alternatives for software that switchers want. But it is rather odd that it's playing out like this. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Qt 5.9.0 was released this week which is the stable and long-term support series of the open-source cross-platform application framework. The major changes to mention for Qt 5.9 is the ability to fully leverage C++11, better Wayland multi-process support, a new set of Qt Quick controls, a brand new graphics architecture, which is Qt 3D, an all-new configuration system, and improved performance on embedded hardware. Due to this being an LTS release, it means that systems and apps using version Qt 5.6 can directly update to Qt 5.9. Speaking of Qt, a GNOME developer announced this week that they have added theme support for Qt-based applications in Flatpak. Flatpak has suffered from a lot of issues regarding the themes of apps for a while now, so I'm glad to see that they are working on improving this issue. Here's a screenshot of Ocular in Flatpak using Adwaita, I think it's Adwaita, Qt-Style, with Adwaita icons. Somewhat related to Flatpaks, as one of the most popular media theaters around, Kodi has announced the availability of an alpha build for Kodi 18 as a snap. Next up, OwnCloud 10, or OwnCloud X, is out. And the 1st it's the first big major release of OwnCloud since the branch off of Nextcloud team in June 2016. I don't use either OwnCloud or Nextcloud, so I can't provide a review about what all is different with this release. But if anyone out there has had experience with OnCloud 10, please let me know in the comment section below this episode. A new release of Krita is out, and while it's mostly a bug fix release, one interesting thing to note is improved support for loading GIMP 2.9 files. This is pretty cool considering Krita doesn't officially support GIMP 2.9 files yet. Which makes sense, though, because GIMP 2.9 is not officially available from GIMP yet so it's really cool to see that support for 2.9 is already being worked on for Krita. Scribus 1.5.3 comes out about a year after the previous release and it adds quite a number of new features and improvements because it's been in testing for so long the Scribus team considers this build ready for some production work but warns users to be careful that it's still considered a development release among the biggest changes implemented in Scribus 1.5.3 is the rewrite of the text layout engine to support complex scripts such as for Thai, Arabic, and Hindi languages and also to provide access to advanced open type functionality like alternate glyphs and ligatures. The total of supported languages is now at 500 and they added an import filter tool that lets users import Krita KRA files. Brightness Controller is a simple app that lets you adjust the brightness of an external monitor independently from your main display. In fact, it allows you to control the brightness in a more specific way than normal tools as you can change the brightness 1% at a time rather than typical 10% at a time. And another cool feature is that it allows you to adjust the color temperature of each display by tweaking the RGB values, or red, green, and blue values. I am a little confused by something though. The brightness controller GitHub page says it supports an arbitrary number of displays, but doesn't say what that arbitrary number is. I think it is up to four, but I don't have enough monitors to test that. Standard Notes is a pretty nice open source Notes app that looks really slick that released a new version recently. Standard Notes is an Electron app that is end-to-end encrypted and the server code is open source for self-hosting on your own server. Standard Notes uses a premium model of Gratis for the basic version but has premium subscription extended version for improved features and themes. I'm not sure if the self-hosted version has a limitation for the features or themes as I didn't have time to test it out, but the extended subscription costs four dollars a month or if paid annually, it has a discounted cost of $36 a year. Personally, I think this app has a lot of potential, but it kind of bothers me that the editors, even the markdown support, is behind the paywall of the extended edition. So it's kind of a pretty encrypted and synced text editor. Hmm. Well, actually, that does still sound pretty cool, because the local encrypting with syncing ability isn't something to just ignore, I guess. So uh, Maybe I have mixed feelings on this one. RAM is an Instagram Electron app, and with the latest release, they now support uploading to Instagram via your desktop or laptop. Instagram released an update a couple weeks ago that allowed you to upload images to their platform from a mobile browser, and by doing this, they made it possible to do it from your desktop just by changing your user agent. However, changing your user agent is kind of a pain to do over and over just for one service, so that is where RAM comes in. RAM is a standalone app that allows you to use Instagram on your desktop, including the uploading of images. The only thing I think is missing right now is the ability to do multiple accounts. If that happens, then it would be fantastic. But still, at the moment, it's a really interesting solution, even without that option. Let's transition from GUI apps to the command line with the latest release of GWAKE. GWAKE is a drop-down terminal app based on the in-game terminal style of Quake. The latest release comes with a few new features and a few bug fixes. If you're a fan of drop-down terminals, then you should certainly check out Gwake. A new version of Tilex is out, version 1.6.0. You may not recognize this app because they recently went through a name change from the previous name of Terminix due to some trademark issues with the Terminix International Corporation. This may seem silly for a pest control company to force a terminal emulator project to change its name due to trademark, but that's the weird thing about trademark law. Even if the Terminix Corporation didn't care and didn't see any issue with Tilex using the name, it is required by law to protect their trademark or risk losing their trademark. I don't know the details about how this went down, but it is possible that the Terminix Corporation isn't really bothered by the usage from the project, but have to address it to retain their trademark. Anyway, Tilex is a really cool application because it's a tiling terminal emulator that offers a great degree of custom workflow. Tilex even includes a Quake-like drop-down terminal mode if you want it. Now you may be thinking, why would I need a terminal with multiple tiles? And to that I'd say, check out MUT. MUT is a command line email client, so you could use Tilex to run MUT as well as other commands at the same time. We have a lot of news this week for distros, and first up, KDE Neon 5.10 has been released with support for KDE Plasma 5.10. The new release of KDE Neon was released the same day of the release for Plasma 5.10, so if you want to get the latest version of Plasma as fast as possible, Definitely check out Katie Neon. I'll be doing a review of KDE Neon later, so be sure to subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Intergos 17.6 ISO refresh was issued this week, and with it comes updates to the live ISO packages. If you are unfamiliar with ISOs refreshes of Intergos, this is a monthly update to their ISOs that allows them to update the packages for the ISOs themselves. This does not affect the packages that are installed to the system because Entergos is a rolling release distro and their ISOs use a net install approach to install the packages, so that way they're always the latest version. This update is just for the packages of the ISOs themselves. The annual Fedora Contributors Conference called Flock 2017 has been announced and is open for registration as well as submissions for talks and workshops. The conference will be held in Cape Cod, Massachusetts from August 29th to September 1st, so if you're interested in submitting for a talk or a workshop, submissions are open until June 15th. Linux Mint says that 18.2 Sonia is just around the corner and have recently confirmed that they will be discontinuing the usage of MDM and instead will be using LightDM in the future. They haven't clarified which LightDM greeter that they will be using, but my guess is that it will probably be the GTK version. OpenSUSE recently announced the Cubic project which will allow the OpenSUSE distro to be used more effectively as a containerized operating system. The primary building block of the Qubit project is the container host OS based on OpenSUSE tumbleweed. Sparky Linux 4.6 is going to be released later this month at a yet-to-be-announced date. 4.6 will be based on Debian Stretch, so it should be expected a few days after the release of Debian 9. For those of you unfamiliar with Sparky Linux, it's a Debian testing-based distro that runs on a rolling release structure and offers a plethora of desktop environments to choose from. Sparky Linux 4.6 will be based on Debian 9, which is the stable version, but I suspect the Sparky Linux will jump right back to the testing version following the release of 4.6. In general, Sparky claims to be not targeted to Linux beginners, rather to users with some amount of Linux experience, but at any rate, they state that the Linux beginners are welcome to try it out and their forums are open for any questions. It's been more than a year since the XFCE team reported on their progress towards the development of 4.14 release of the desktop environment. But this week, one of the developers posted an in-depth update blog post. XFCE 4.14 will be a transitional release where the main goal is to port all of the desktop environment's components to GTK3 Toolkit. The minimum supported version is likely to be 3.20, but they said it could be bumped up to GTK3.22. The blog post states that almost all of XFCE's core components have been successfully ported to GGK3, including XFCE4 settings, XFCE4 session, XF desktop, XFCE4 panel, and more. The port of the Thunar file manager to GGK3 is underway, and they are looking for contributors, so if you're interested in contributing to this port, check out the video description be- below for the link to the blog post. Open Adventure is a forward port of the seminal game Colossal Cave Adventure which is considered the first ever serious text adventure game from 1977, and the source code for the open adventure has been released on GitLab by Eric S. Raymond. The original developers of Colossal Cave Adventure have given permission for this port and for the open sourcing of the code. The game development company Virtual Programming announced on their Twitter that Micro Machine World Series is coming to Linux on June 23rd. I am so excited for this game. I remember playing this as a kid on the Sega Genesis, and I'm excited to play a new modern version of it. It's a racing game with weapons using small toy-like cars and everyday home racetracks like in a kitchen or on a pool table. It sounds kind of silly, I know, but I remember it being really fun to play and I look forward to trying it out on Linux on the 23rd. The Linux version is a port of the Windows version actually that's being released on, the, on June 20th. So only three day delay, that's pretty cool. It's an exciting time to be a Linux gamer. Dolphin is an emulator for two recent Nintendo video games consoles, the GameCube and the Wii. Dolphin announced some pretty cool changes this week coming to the emulator. Since the beginning of Dolphin, they have used WX Widgets for their graphical user interface, but this week they announced that they will be switching to Qt. They will retain the design of the GUI during the transition, but haven't ruled out redesigning it in the future. The next change and arguably more important change for Dolphin is that the D3D12 API or Direct3D of DirectX12 backend will be removed and be completely replaced with the Vulkan API. This is very cool and exciting for what can be the future of retro gaming, thanks to Vulkan. Speaking of Vulkan, the Vulkanized event recently took place and the Kronos Group, which are the maintainers of Vulkan, uploaded videos of the event to their YouTube channel. There are some interesting talks from some game developers like Feral Interactive and Team, who have embraced the Vulkan API in their ports. You can find a link to the, vi- to the playlist of the videos in the video description below. Toyota has announced this week that they will be running Linux in their new in-car tech. Toyota is the first big-name user of the Linux Foundation's automotive-grade Linux project. They said they'll be using the AGL in their 2018 Camry. The GPD Pocket is a 7 inch miniature laptop which shattered its crowdfunding goal of $200,000 raising an astounding $3.4 million. There is now a video demonstrating Ubuntu running on the tiny laptop and as expected the interface is very small and seems difficult to use. This is one of those crowdfunding campaigns that I just don't get how they were successful. There weren't any videos or prototype demos or anything. At the time, it was just a Photoshopped photos of a case. I I mean, in the beginning of the campaign, it only offered 4 gigs of RAM. And while it did increase it to 8 gigs by the end, I don't get how the original 4 gigs was enticing enough to pay $450 for the device at a discounted rate. The expected retail price for this tiny laptop is going to be $600 which is most certainly something I won't be buying, even if it was still 450 I wouldn't get it. I understand the appeal to the small size, but a tablet with Bluetooth keyboard would cost a quarter of the price and be optimized for the screen size. Sure, it wouldn't be a full Linux desktop, but when you can barely read anything, I don't see the appeal. I'm probably just missing something, so if you know why this device was so heavily funded, please let me know in the comments below. I'd really like to know why this campaign was so successful, despite the glaring problems. Vulnerability was discovered in the sudo component, which is a component that allows users to run programs with the security privileges of another user, such as root. Sudo incorrectly parsed the contents of a folder, which could be made by a local attacker to overwrite files as a system administrator. This is a very important component of the operating system. So of course, everyone is urged to update their installation immediately. This vulnerability has been patched in all supported versions of Ubuntu back to 14.04 LTS. Once you install the updated packages, you won't need to reboot your system to utilize the new version. I've not received clarification as to whether this only affects Ubuntu's implementation of sudo or sudo as a whole. I'll check back in on this topic when I learn more about it. I do want to emphasize something about this news though. While this is an important patch to install, It's not something most people should freak out about because it's, as I said before, it's a vulnerability that needs a local attacker. This means that remote execution is not possible, and it's a physical access issue. It still needs to be addressed on your system, but it's not a system breaking issue. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this channel, please hit that like button and be sure to subscribe. I'm Michael Tanell with Touch Digital, and as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.